You're listening to A Conduit's Diary, a podcast featuring my diary entries as I investigate paranormal activity. This is rated explicit because I have a foul mouth and I'm kind of an asshole. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast so you can share the love. Welcome to episode 13, Baby Monitor Blues. The rescue shut down. Temporarily. I don't mean to scare you. It was inevitable. About a week after Thanksgiving, we started to hear the first trickles of call-outs from the kennel staff. One went to her parents for Thanksgiving and, like clockwork, five days later started with a sniffly nose. She came to work and sat in the break room, less than six feet away from others, eating lunch with her mask off. Within two weeks, the entire kennel staff, all the techs, and two of the doctors were out. It got worse from there. The animal control officer that often communicated with us was out too. I, somehow, was spared. Rosa made everyone take a full 10 days off and get COVID tested, expanding it to 14 days if anyone was symptomatic or positive. My first and second tests were negative, but I'm hunkered down anyway and using it as an excuse to order DoorDash and avoid my family. It wasn't hard, Since the mirror incident, I hadn't spoken to my mother. I know, I promised I would elaborate more on what happened, but I'm not ready yet. Everyone can relate to impossible relationships with their parents, especially the one they're most similar to. After taking a break from recording for this November to plan for holiday season, I was surprised how exhausted I was when Thanksgiving came and went. When the drama at the rescue happened, and, well, I'm glad that y'all stuck around. I've decided to use my time in solitude to reflect on some of my older stories, back when I didn't really know what I was doing. That's a lie, I still don't really know. Spending that time with my mother made me realize I was the epitome of Dunning-Kruger. I thought I knew a lot, but I know nothing. That's a Game of Thrones throwback. What a shame they never filmed me on season 6. I digress though. Let's take a look into the past. The year is 2017, and I'm not living in the townhouse yet. I was in an apartment complex in the shadiest part of Mesa. I saw the TV show Cops more than I saw actual police officers in my neighborhood. I wasn't yet the rescue coordinator and just a lowly tech, making it by with a 400-square-foot apartment and an endless supply of ramen. My business was very fledgling. I hadn't quite worked up the ladder to the high rollers. I woke up to a frantic email from a young couple, the Watsons, who lived in a nicer part of Mesa. Despite how I framed my city, there was a nice part of Mesa, with bigger homes and spacious half-acre lots. It was the biggest fish I'd snagged so far, and my eyes bulged at the address. I didn't really even read the email. It was a bad habit I still have, jumping in feet first. Impulsivity doesn't serve me well. I made my way just a few miles north of where I lived, but it might as well have been another planet. The streets had white picket fences and actual grass in the yard. This may seem normal for those of you who live outside Phoenix, but it's astronomically expensive to water a lawn when it's 120 degrees outside. Plus, it's kind of wasteful. The Watsons practically ran out the front door before I had fully parked my car and headed up their drive. The husband, Mike, was barely a head taller than me, with thick, curly black hair that grew long around his ears. He had a two-day-old shadow, and his eyes were rimmed with black. 
His wife, Amanda, wasn't far behind him. She was about the same height with long, straight brown hair that fell down to her shoulder blades in a ratty, matted mess. She shared his unkempt appearance with a stain on her blouse and equally dark-rimmed eyes. Rachel? They practically yelled down the drive. I glanced around, a bit self-conscious at the bum rush. Usually people wanted discretion when I arrive. It's not like my name meant anything to anyone, but still, most people treated me like a red-headed stepchild and pretended I didn't exist until safely in their home and away from the prying eyes of the neighbors. Yes, I responded, picking up my pace a bit so I could meet them nearer to the door. They halted at the edge of the porch and waved me in, each stepping to the side to allow me through like I was a celebrity on a red carpet. Their home was nondescript, with faded lightwood cabinets and aged carpet. It was clear the house hadn't been renovated since it was built. This was before Stephanie accidentally let me steal the log into her MLS and I could actually research the houses before going to them. I'd go in blind with a recorder and some basic equipment that paled in comparison to my arsenal now. I know what you're thinking. I always claim to be scamming people, but every time I tell a story, there's a real ghost there. Listen, I hear you. Here's the tea. No one wants to hear me tell the same story over and over again. Frantic people call me. I show up and exercise a non-existent demon, fix some shitty pipes, and take their money. I know you want the real juice. And this one has a bit of a wholesome squeeze. Mike shut the door behind me, quick and hard, making me jump and turn around. The husband and wife exchanged looks, and I realized they were a bit too far away from the door to slam it with that sort of force. I cleared my throat, turning to give my typical spiel. Thank you for inviting me to your home. I'll explain what I do. Let's get somewhere comfortable and you tell me what's going on. From there, I'll see what I can do to help. You'll help then? Asked Amanda. She was practically yanking on the edges of her hair, pulling the split ends off by the finger load. I tried to give a reassuring smile, but it froze on my face. What if I couldn't? Most of the houses I visited were without ghosts and they were easy fixes. What if I found something I couldn't fix? I'll do what I can, I said truthfully. She wasn't satisfied with that answer, and I didn't blame her. We took the few steps necessary to head into the living room, where I sat awkwardly on a lazy boy recliner as they took up the plush couch. I had to pivot a little to look at them, but I was grateful for the distance. The anxiety was rolling off of them, and it was upsetting me a little. Our house is horribly haunted, blurted out Amanda. Mike put his hand on her arm as if to reassure her but the way he gripped it made me realize he was trying to stop her from word vomiting all over the place. Possibly, interjected Mike. I recognize this dynamic. It reminded me of when I was a kid and my mother used to read tarot at the local fairs. There was always a person who gave half answers, trying to get my mother to trip up her readings by withholding information. If she really knew something, she'd figure it out, they used to say. That was Mike now. He was going to hold his cards as close to his chest and see how much I could glean from their conversation. What's been happening? I asked. Amanda threw Mike a look of annoyance and reached over him to grab the iPad off the side table. He looked like he was going to snap it out of her hands, but decided against it when she threw back a look of pure venom. The tension in the room was making a light sheen of sweat break out over my forehead, despite the fact it was 50 degrees outside and the house didn't seem to have the heater on. I wiped my palms on my pants and tried to steer the direction of the conversation, but Amanda beat me to it. There's a ghost interacting with our daughter, she said, tapping the iPad with such force I was worried she'd crack the screen. 
I raised my eyebrows but didn't speak until she leaned forward and handed me the iPad, settling herself back onto the sofa, this time with more distance between her and her husband. I looked at the iPad hesitantly, realizing I was watching a camera recording. Squinting, I realized it was a baby monitor. The room was dark. It was nighttime, with telltale green outlines of night vision. The room had a crib easily in the frame, with a child resting quietly in it. I have no idea how old the child was. To me, all children are either infants, toddlers, or teens, with literally nothing in between. This kid was sleeping, a thumb resting happily in their mouth. It took me a minute to make out the name Madison on the wall behind the crib. At first, I didn't really see anything. The kid slept, her thumb lodged in her mouth, the static silence of the room humming through the iPad speaker. The scene changed suddenly. Without seeing how it happened, the girl was suddenly standing at the edge of the crib, her hands up in the air as she reached for something unseen. I frowned and rewound the footage. The time jumped three minutes without any video. See, said Amanda accusatorily, nodding her head rapidly. The video glitch, I asked, trying to keep my voice and face neutral. She nodded. It happens all the time. She'll be asleep and suddenly she's up, talking, babbling an entire three, five, ten minutes are missing. Oh, I said, looking back at the video. The child was at the edge of the crib, babbling away with nonsense, reaching her hands into the air to grasp at the unseen. Can you see anything? Amanda asked, hopeful. On the video? Oh, no, it doesn't work that way, I said. What do you mean? asked Mike his voice all edges and spikes. I tried to meet his gaze with as much strength as I could, even though I felt heat creeping onto my face. They don't show up on photos or videos, I said. They? he asked, a humorless smile sliding over his face. I sighed, setting the iPad in my lap. Yes, whatever you want to call them. It, energy, ghosts, spirits, demons. I've never seen them successfully captured on video or photos, just really good photoshop i think so how are you supposed to help us he asked still angry why don't you give me more information your daughter she's waking up in the night and there's a glitch in the baby monitor what else she sees things we don't whispered amanda is that normal for babies for them to see ghosts or or spirits Uh, a common myth i saw in horror films kids dogs pets whatever being able to experience or at least feel the other side. People used it as an explanation for why their dogs would stare into space or why their child often spoke to things or people they couldn't see. According to my mother, it doesn't work that way. Who knows what kids do or don't see, I said instead, shrugging. Wrong answer. So you don't know, pressed Mike, throwing his hands in the air. What are we even paying her for? I told you we need to get the church involved. He wasn't quiet with his anger, looking about to stand and throw me out by the collar. I clutched the iPad like a life vest. That's not what I meant. I mean, they can't talk. How how do we know? Just tell me what you've noticed, I started. Now, current me wouldn't put up with this type of abuse. I would have gotten up and marched out and threw him the bird. 2017 me was poor, so I had accepted abuse from any and every customer, Instead, I sat there, red-faced, watching as Mike got up and marched out of the room, leaving Amanda and I staring at each other. She didn't look apologetic. She looked resigned. It's only in her room, and only interacting with her, said Amanda once he was gone. 
We'll be in her room changing her or playing with her and she'll avoid looking at us. She'll be looking to something or someone else. At first we thought maybe it was like a trick of the light, you know, shadows and stuff, but it would change and it wouldn't matter the time of day. Sometimes she'd interact with it, laughing and smiling. In her baby cam, we'd see her mumbling and chattering away to the air. So I started paying closer attention. I recorded the baby monitor and watched it back for any changes. Here, Amanda reached over and took the iPad for me, gently, not with the anger Mike had when he left the room. She flipped through the monitor and angled it toward me, scooting on the couch so we could both watch. It was a similar scene to before. The green and black tones of nighttime recording. This time, she pointed to an area in the corner. Madison was bouncing on the edge of the crib, holding on as she laughed and made sing-song noises. The corner, where she was looking, shifted. It took me a minute to realize that something on the counter had moved, like it had been bumped while someone was moving by it. Amanda adjusted the iPad and showed me similar scenes. Madison interacting with the air and something moving here, there, like it had been hit. Have you ever considered that maybe she's... I drifted off, unsure of how to frame the question. What? Hallucinating? Mentally ill? I worried about all those things too. We, we both did. The way she would look at us sometimes, it had us on edge. So we went to see a team of doctors, and she was completely normal. She interacted like a normal baby her age. If anything, she was more adventurous and communicative than the other children her age. We watched her act completely normal, even with us. It wasn't until we got home we noticed the change, like she was focused on something more interesting than us. It's always like that. We take her away for a bit and she's happy, playing. If we're gone for a longer period of time, though, she gets crabby, distant. Like she's missing someone or something. It, that's the best way I can explain it, Amanda sighed, tapping the edges of the iPad nervously. Is that all that happens, I asked. Amanda shook her head. When we're gone for a long time, like a long trip to see my parents, or if we send her away for a few days, the house gets angry. I don't know how else to explain it. The heater or the air conditioning will break and no one can figure out what's wrong with it. Lights will shut off and won't turn back on, even if we flip the breaker. It's like the house is punishing us for taking her away. Do you notice any other strange behaviors with her? I asked. Amanda shrugged. I don't know. She's so young. It's hard to know how much of this is childish stubbornness or outside influence. She's our first child, but I was a daycare teacher for years before we inherited this house. I know every child has their own personality, and I don't know how much of what we're seeing is her personality or if it's something worse. And she doesn't notice ghosts elsewhere, I asked. Amanda shifted uncomfortably. She doesn't have these behaviors other places. That's not true, chimed in Mike. He was standing near the doorway, looking dark and morose. His frown was painted tightly across his face, and I half worried he had returned to throw me out. To my relief, he crossed back to the couch and sat down slowly, gingerly, next to his wife. She's done this a few other places. Random, though, not any way we can track. Sometimes she'll be in public, and it's like she sees something we don't. She'll look away and be in a trance almost. Sometimes she'll stare at a wall and just start to cry hysterically. She can see things we can't. And this upsets you? I asked. It never occurred to me that someone may be upset by the knowledge their child could see or interact with spirits. The minute my mom realized I had her same ability, she practically threw me a party. It's hard to remember not everyone has the same experiences. 
We want her to be normal, said Amanda quickly. Then she bit her lip, realizing what she'd said almost too late. I smiled half-heartedly, nodding to them. Why don't you show me her room? They exchanged looks and nodded, standing to lead me down to the bedroom. You said you inherited this house? I asked, by way of conversation. It was my grandfather's house, said Mike over his shoulder. He built it in the early 80s, back when this was all farmland. The land around him sold and other properties moved in, but he kept it up. When he died a few years ago, he gave it to us. Well, that explained the 80s decor and the general rundown appearance. Amanda creaked open the door to the bedroom, revealing a quaint and bright room. A large window with a bay seat was surrounded by all sorts of books to read on its comfy cushion. The name Madison was written in block letters on the wall, with a mobile that hung lazily over the crib. I noted a camera in the corner, positioned just correctly to view the crib, which was empty. No baby? I asked. Mike shook his head. She's in school right now. Her nanny should be bringing her bay in a bit. I nodded in response, moving my hand along the edges of the desk, watching for any swirls or dust or sudden gusts of air. I was looking for an explanation of what made things in the video move. I looked for ways the sun could play over the walls and look like something interesting to a child. I found nothing, felt nothing, and admitted as much to the couple. There's not much here, I said. I was interrupted by the sound of the front door opening and the steady beep of a door alarm to help announce their entrance. It was followed by the unmistakable coo of a young child and the clicking of low heels on the tile floor. She's early, said Mike with a frown, consulting his watch. I realized the couple never intended for me to meet their daughter. I didn't blame them. The nanny rounded the corner into the bedroom, her eyes wide with surprise, to see the three of us in there. Oh, hey, she said, shifting the child from one hip to another. The child regarded me coolly, her dark eyes scanning over me with the practice ease of an adult. I almost laughed at her equally guarded glare. Margaret, you're early, said Amanda. The nanny nodded. Yeah, they had an early dismissal today. Who's this? She asked. Oh, this is... Amanda started, then trailed off. I cleared my throat and extended my hand, smiling broadly. I'm Rachel. I'm from the baby monitor company. I was just checking out the glitches the Watson family noted. I'll be out of your hair in a bit, I said. Amanda sighed in relief, but Mike regarded me coldly. Oh, Margaret said, pushing beyond us to put Madison in her crib. Did they show you the most common corner? She asked. She pointed to the corner nearest the window, tucked close to the sliding closet door. That's where it glitches the most. Very strange. You've seen the glitches too? Asked Amanda, her voice sharp. Margaret nodded absently, as though it was a boring question to answer. Oh yeah, all the time. It's more of just like strange shapes and shadows. Nothing too serious, but definitely annoying. You can still see and hear Maddie perfectly, so I never mentioned anything. She smiled brightly, snapping a piece of chewing gum in her mouth. Like Rachel said, she's on her way out, said Mike. Amanda shot him a nasty look, and I smiled uncomfortably. May I use your restroom first, I asked. Mike pointed wordlessly down the hall, and I retreated to the bathroom. On the way out, I paused at the sound of baby babble from Madison's room. The room was empty, except for the girl in her crib. I saw her stretch on her tiptoes, clutching the edge of the crib, reaching out her hand to an area just out of my vision. As I turned the corner, I saw an old man, a ghost. He was tall, his head nearly to the mobile, with a hunched-over posture and endless wrinkles that stretched over his eyes and down his cheeks. He wore a shabby brown coat and blue trousers, and didn't notice me at first. I stood in the doorway, staring at him 
watching the two interact until Madison's eyes slid toward me and she frowned. The man's eyes followed, watching me with a blank expression. Who are you? he demanded. He lifted a hand to wag his finger at me in admonishment. Rachel, I said quietly, taking a step into the bedroom. Have you been visiting Madison at night? I asked him. Why are you in my house? he asked instead of replying to me. Mike invited me, I said. Mikey, I don't believe you, he said. I shrugged, taking another step into the room. You're scaring them. They know she can see you. Of course she can see me, he protested. But the protest sounded weak. Even though they can't, I answered. He didn't reply, instead looking over me into the doorway. But you can see me, he said softly. I nodded. And so can Madison, he smiled at that reaching out to gently touch the toddler's hand. She's going to be scared when she gets older, I said. He nodded, keeping his fingers light on the child's chubby fingers. Tell Mikey Mouse I love him, he said. I turned to leave the bedroom and nearly ran into Mike, who was looking increasingly angrier with every second. What were you doing in there, he hissed. His eyes darted to the living room where Margaret presumably was. I raised my hands in surrender, trying to calm him down. I saw something, so I... You need to leave, he told me angrily. He reached out to grab my arm when Amanda appeared around the corner, frowning. Mike, what in the world are you... It's your grandfather, I yelled, flinching away from him. Your grandfather's the one who's visiting her. Mike laughed at this, an angry laugh. Clever, he said, reaching out to grab me again. He says he calls you Mikey Mouse. He was wearing a, a brown jacket and blue pants. He, he visits her. Mike stopped at this, his jaw slack. Behind him, Amanda raised her hand to her mouth, covering the gasp that threatened to squeak out from between her fingers. From the bedroom, Madison watched us all, a smile on her chubby face. Her dark eyes gleaming with amused understanding. A Conduit's Diary is created by me, written and produced by me, mixed horribly and edited by me. Cover art created by BMC Design on Fiverr. Music, intro and outro, created by Chris Hornberger.